they really didn't understand how we could grow plants without soil. The resistance was a competition. They didn't want really another contender on some of these products, but then also, um, you know, they really didn't know what this type of growing and the benefits that this type of growing can actually provide. You got to kind of shake people up and, and show them that this is a way and the hardest part about doing that is sometimes you got to do it with no support until you actually do it. But you, you just got to believe that when they try your product, when they come out and visit your farm, they're going to walk away from that experience or that, you know, that meeting as something a little different. We're going to hit this right now. Yeah. Are you ready to hit this high five up in there? Go. Yeah. So we're here with Matt from Hollow House Farms, a local farm to us uh, where we record. Actually, it's I think you guys are your runnable distance. It's less than three miles, I would think. It's it's a you, difficult and dangerous route, but it what do you probably do it's probably doable. But yeah, yeah, okay. So then it's facts. We have Matt. I thought his last name was Browd. I think all of Bucks County is saying their name wrong. It's Matt Bro. Remember like, it. Like bro. Sounds which very is way cooler. Yeah. But we're gonna get into what they do um at Hollow House Farms. It's a lot more unique than I think the community knows what's going on or what you know or have as a skill set isn't really like what you think is normal farming. Would you say, Gilmar? It's not really normal farming. No. But I think it should be. Yeah, it should be. Right? So you basically, just to like sum it up for everybody that's going to bail on this video eight minutes into it. Sum it up. You use tilapia. Tilapia. Uh, here's your liner. Yep. And then, yeah, I'm not going to say it. Okay. And then you have this integrative system that feeds like a water system that ultimately feeds lettuce or whatever you're growing on top of the water through this kind of like sustainable system, which is ultimately where you got the business name for your first farm, uh, sustainable harvesters. Correct. Yep. Like how is this an, a, cause like me and Gilmar don't really know anything about this. I'm assuming you don't Not much. going no. in this blind, right? Yeah. How, like That's how good. many people around the world are doing this? Like, is this, how innovative is this? Because you made it seem, when you, I first talked to you about it, it was, it sounded like what you're doing, what? And then when I saw it, I was, I was kind of blown away. And then also kind of like, wow, this is actually a simple system once you set, I mean, it's kind of complex once to, to set it up. But Correct. once you get it going, I was kind of like, wow, this is, this is, I kind of was impressed by like what you were doing. I had never seen something like that before. And most people haven't, you know, a lot of people haven't yeah, been to get a little farm, close to this, you know, in a long time or have the opportunity to go and visit a farm or, or you know, just kind of learn uh, what innovations are out there. Um, you kind of got it right for sure. Um, that's one facet of it. And I, I think um, more simply thinking it's fish and plants recirculating to really create a immunity to create nutrients, but also protect themselves against pesticides and or pests and and other kinds of disease but um, for the most part it's the simplest way of growing 
that I've seen and it has gotten a buzz that has taken me all around the world to either consult or design these systems from Haiti um, to Bahrain. And the need is out there for site-specific agriculture like this, and it's not an answer for everything. Uh, I think at Hollow House Farms up here, uh, we're trying to showcase this type of growing aquaponic, uh, but we're also trying to show people that it's not just one answer. It's, it's a group of diverse practices and diverse different things growing at the same time to really kind of capitalize on things in a garden, but also in a community, whether you're growing food or you're growing education. Um, yeah, so the goal for the farm is more than obviously just what you're doing with aquaponics. Correct. But you're trying to create kind of... Um, but we'll get into the aquaponics yeah, first. Yeah, uh, no, like, I mean, we can do whatever. It's your show. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bro show. <laughs> um, you, you guys are trying to, because when I first met you, I met you guys early on, and you had, like, a really big vision, which I love people, and I tend to, like, you know, r like, I, I tend to have a lot of people around me that have, you know, big dreams, big aspirations, big visions like that. So I was instantly just kind of like, I need to stick around for this to see how this all plays out. And then um, over time, like your farm has just kind of like, just like added on a little bit at a time, like every week yeah, was just kind of like around you, for two years. You you, know, yeah. If you blinked over the two years, you guys have done a lot. Correct. But if you were there every week, it didn't, it seemed very like it was, it's been two years it's since I first work. met you. So when I first, it, I, I knew you for, I don't know, probably a year or so, and then saw this system and was like, wait a minute, and had like a completely different understanding as to like what you guys were trying to do there. So I think it's really important for people to like come and see what it is you're doing in person because it everybody or a lot of people are talking about like sustainability and creating food and growing food um, with like the growing soil pro problems and things like that or global warming or climate change or whatever the word is at that time. Like your system seems like it could provide food more efficiently in a lot of ways than what we currently are doing with like I don't want to say old farming techniques, right. but traditional farming techniques. There you go. That's a better word. Yeah. To use it. Um, well, I, I think, uh, you know, at Hollow House, we're, we're trying to really utilize that farm to regrow community engagement in that. And that really kind of works through immersive experiences when you're out there. And I think a lot of people buy our lettuce every week at the markets and are really excited about, you know, what we're doing, but they don't really grasp what aquaponics is and the benefits to them um, as much as maybe they've seen traditional farmers have these grocery stores or whatnot, like Tanner's Brothers. It's a lot of the traditional crops that they can kind of go through and get their grocery store list. You know, this product's going to last three weeks in your refrigerator, which is a great value for them. Is um, that because... So when I when we were hanging out the other day, you were kind of talking about how how much like the the quality of the lettuce in particular. Um, what is it about 
I guess it's like the nutrient delivery and the growth process and that relationship is that what is creating like a a lettuce product that is going to last longer like what what is it about all of this that's making that happen right so i guess i was teeing you up for uh our conversation into aquaponics and i like to think of aquaponics see he's controlling the show because it's his two parts it's yeah (laughs) actually one of the parts of the business was tours and you can have a guy out there for three hours and ask you so many questions or you can direct that tour and before long they don't even realize they're at the exit and they have a smile on their face and as long as you can deliver that information and really kind of inspire them I think everyone walks away with a whole new perception on what's possible in agriculture and I think this going back to you know what its purpose is and it's Purposes for fast-growing leafy greens, it's for kales, it's for spinaches, you can do carrots, you can do some rooting vegetables, obviously peppers and, and um, tomatoes have been grown in hot houses for a long time hydroponically. Um, but, you know, you have these niche products that are mainly, you know, um, just a sliver of what people buy at the grocery store. We're not going to be able to say this sustainable practice is the best way to grow avocados, for example. But if you need to get fresh produce to people in an area that's so dense like Brooklyn or something like that, where land is so expensive you can't get into the soil and you're not putting soil 30 30 floors up, you know, this is a, a system that can be set up very quickly in a very controlled environment, whether that's a greenhouse whether that's a warehouse. So you could use grow lights. You don't necessarily Correct. need the sun. And that would be the that would be another added expense that you would ne- then need to really kind of offset with production numbers. And the way you do that is really stacking them. You have so the I wouldn't necessarily to. as like, um, say I live in Manhattan and I'm all about sustainability, right? I couldn't financially... I probably wouldn't do very well with a, you know, a setup for a family of four. I would probably be like financially negative in that investment because I would have to build a system and maintain a system that's producing enough food for four people or just enough for four people like that. You'd probably want to grow to like a certain like like um, what's that what's that word called a break even point? It really would, um, you know, benefit a family if they had room to put it in there. And some of these systems can okay. go in just like a refrigerator would. But even some spaces in New York, like your example said, you know, don't even have space for that. So I guess what I was like trying to get at was, is it possible for these systems, like the system that you showed me, now you have like several of them right. set up and your one in Texas is very large. Correct. But the ones you have down the street, like they're not that big yes there if you look at it like it's overwhelming when you first look at it when you see everything going on the pipes and everything but when you like break it down into pieces you're like huh like i like would it make sense for people to say like hey you you have the chicken coop like would you also have like a small greenhouse producing your own leafy greens like is that what futuristic sustainability actually looks like yeah, I think um, those smaller greenhouses are just more of a uh, representation of what's possible for the average consumer that comes out to our farm that wants 
to do some sort of sustainable, innovative gardening has the gumption to do that. Probably already has in ground beds. Sees that scale, which um, Andrew's talking about three uh, 12 by 10 greenhouses. Um, yeah, that is very small for a business. That is, you know, uh, we are bursting at the seams and the configuration in there is uh, unholy. There's lettuce everywhere. And, and for the most part, <laughs> um, you know, you could take one of those houses and a family of four, like you said, uh, I have an example. Um, I got the pleasure of building a little 10 by 12 greenhouse for Marcus Luttrell. Um, and he was the lone survivor. Uh, he lived right around the corner from the farm. And during COVID, him and his family, um, you know, were able to really kind of stay home. They have a beautiful little estate. He calls it Valhalla. And, um, you know, they really grew everything in that and the outdoor uh, garden that she had. And, and the kids learned a lot. Um, they really kind of are self-sufficient on certain products. And the fish aspect of it also gives you a unique um, kind of revenue stream. But in the 10 years that I've been doing this, that is the hardest part to sell is tilapia to Americans for some reason. Uh, uh, chefs don't want them. The consumers at the market what, like don't the want them. The fi- like you can actually sell the fish as well Yep, because the fish are mating inside that tank. Um, for the most part, you're going to get all male tilapia so that um, mm. for three reasons. One, they grow much bigger. Um, two, they grow faster and don't take as much feed, which is an expense. Um, but third and most importantly, that they don't reproduce because tilapia are known to reproduce plenty. And um, if they do, man, you, you have no part of it. And one day you'll look up and there's 500 little uh, fingerlings floating at the top, and now your tank is you sized. Call the cleanup you know, specialist. <laughs> There's a lot of room for some jokes in there. Uh, <laughs> but no, down in Texas, we actually had um, had some switch back um, to female and breed, and now we have like ten thousand tilapia down there. And wait, tilapia, tilapia it changed makes me never gender. Want to fish again. What's that? They change gender, just like in uh, Jurassic Park. What? Hmm. Some and can and all fish do that not, or just it, It's not like a frog where it switches back um, when they're sexed at birth. And I don't want to get in the weeds because I'm not a specialist on uh, aquaculture. But uh, when they're sexed at birth, it's okay. This is just podcasting. We just make stuff up and uh, we fact control. check it later. <laughs> wrong. This is wrong. Don't yeah. believe this. <laughs> My goldfish. No, but educate us. Um, and so they're they're fed a high protein diet and they take on the traits as a male as a young uh, spawn and so that they will kind of go sterile and that's how you can secure the number that you're putting in your tank is the number that you're going to be taking out of your tank mm. eventually. Um, the it's only just to feed them like a high protein diet to just like ensure they become it's, males. It's definitely something a little bit more um, scientific than that. But it's basically something like that. I would, I would say so. Say if we were filling in like a chalkboard essay for like a test or something, There'd be a little bit more to that, but we'd get 70%. Let's just say that we started out with 150 tilapia, and we have a couple thousand now in <laughs> excess. So something happened. And um, Could you imagine that? Could, did you ever have, like, a friend or anybody, like, raise, like, guinea pigs or mice or anything like that? No, as never. Kids? Dude, we had a friend, and I can't remember if it was mice or hamsters, but something happened where there was one of them was pregnant, and they, like, 
came back one day and there was a whole bunch more of them and they didn't know what to do and they just got like their their parents were already pissed about like having hamsters yeah. that like they literally brought home pregnant hamsters from the like i think it was mice or pregnant like i can't remember but it's probably I remember just being, such like, a weird sight like i remember like, like learning eggs? as like kids <laughs> my mom had things. to like my brother was like fascinated by this like how do they just like appear like that like, <laughs> i was like oh shit <laughs> oh my god that's crazy so but italian restaurants sell tilapia You've have you cooked tilapia? Yeah, you see it all the time. Yeah, so you don't know. It's people delicious. Like, people it's have it in good. their freezer all the time too. So you would you sell tilapia too? If um, like if, if like you had like a tilapia an problem incident. Yeah. yeah, we'll say an incident. An incident. A breakout. An unwanted thing. Yeah. Oh. Well, I'm just saying. It would be well. It'd be we could turn something that was unwanted and make it wanted. There you go. Double value. Yeah. So we chose tilapia in the beginning because there's just so much research about that and aquaponics specifically that we weren't going to try and recreate the wheel. So we got what was good for our climate, you know, what was good for the, the system itself. Um, but we never really had luck with it down there. And so going up here and thinking back about Hollow House's educational piece, but also the connection to the community, we're thrown around the option of maybe even growing some um, stalker fish for the area that they used to stock brookies and trout right there at the Nishami because we can really use any kind of freshwater fish, whether that's koi, goldfish, or catfish. What, what would the advantages be to using a fish that's, like, local? Uh, not so much more advantages, but they're – they stopped stocking that area, and I think working with the game warden and, and trying to maybe – you know, breed some of these, it's it's no different to me, you know, because they're creating that nutrient, whether that is that uh, trout or that's a sturgeon or a, a striped bass, you know. So you would, you're talking about like coordinating with... I think it would be neat. I think that's with, just an idea going around, but we have tilapia right now. By putting the fish back into the ecosystem, mm -hmm. that's what you're trying to do. Interesting. Yeah. In yeah. a controlled way, of course. What, what can you do as far as tours and things like that because i think a, a unique component of what you're doing you're obviously selling products and the farmers markets which we all know about mm -hmm. are really popular and you need that revenue to like keep growing but a large part of what you're doing is the education what are you currently doing to educate people yeah, well, it's it's pretty cold out there. Uh, this time of the year, a lot of the farms, you know, we do a lot of the work um, getting ready for the season, which is coming on, you know, we're starting to seed this week. Um, I started tilling a little early last week on um, a certain amount of crops. Um, but, but for the most part, you know, um, our, our place is not just going to be for educational tours, but we can also, you know, invite local um, chefs out there um, and, invite that community in there for an experience that is a dinner or, or something of the sort, as well as those educational pieces um, that this place is going to be primed and kind of stationed towards, I think, um, bringing light to the area and the history of the Lenny Lenape tribes, um, specifically Neshaminy Creek is um, named right after, well, specifically, supposedly named after the curve and the Neshaminy right at our farm. And so I think that's important to a lot of people that have stopped by. Um, and so I think, you know, 
thinking about the community's history and also the people that are living here and that might not be living here anymore that come and visit, um, we want a place that it will be kind of interesting for all walks of life because we are a very diverse community here and not everyone wants to go and watch uh, me talk about fish and plants, um, but some people do. Some people are interested in our flowers or um, our chickens and ducks. And so I think, you know, over time we're starting to, to feel out what people want and really the hardest trouble is is you know getting the permitting to do that we are um, in an area where farming is mainly monocrop um, that's going to be soybean or corn you know there this area is not as used to some of the innovative ways that we're thinking about agriculture and so they're trying to get up to speed um, but you know it's it's been a struggle along the way um, it's not as it's not any easier for a farmer to, to build on his property as a, a resident. Um, so there's been some backlog on having people out at the farm, but we're really excited that this spring we're going to be able to open the doors. Um, we're going to have the facilities kind of to, to hold people and also you know get them to keep coming back out, whether that's at an event or a, a farm stand that we're going to be putting out front. What, like, when you're talking about, like, the challenges with, like, the local, I guess, community... Um, what, I guess, what are the pushbacks or what are the skepticisms or what are the, what are those challenges? If you can talk about that, cause I'd, I'd like to understand because when I, when I, when I see it, I, I'm very much like an innovator, an optimist. Like I see the possibilities and everything and it usually gets out of hand. Farmer without optimism would cease to be a farmer. So. Yes. So when I hear that you're having challenges, I'm kind of interested to hear what those objections could possibly be. Uh, well, our property, just to recap, had been, you know, set Pharaoh for like 30 years. Nothing, you know, no one used it. The house that was there, historical house that's dating back all the way to the 1700s, you know, got degraded to the point that the stories fell on each other. Uh, the stone from that house was quarried from the creek on the property right below it. Um, and that was just in shambles. And so when we got it, it was just a year of just bringing it to a baseline. And, and that baseline really, you know, let us kind of see a blank slate. And this past year, we were able to grow for our first time. And now that we had that kind of template of a garden and a farm and the greenhouses and, you know, parking and an event space and other things, you know, we were able to build on that and this year going into it you know our plan is is much much less stressful um, for me because we threw everything at the wind and see what's stack, uh, stuck and this year I think um, we're focusing in on what's going to keep this business sustainable how are we going to stay in business but uh, you know how are we going to get closer to that community without putting ourselves in a stressful situation we want it to be fluid and I think the way to do that is the layout the flow and we finally kind of gotten a real nice flow that we feel comfortable now kind of putting on the show and having so like the, ob the objections from like the community was kind of like what you were doing as the whole operation <laughs> I completely forgot about your question there <laughs> objections to that's the okay that's, have that been, happens have been very minimal and, and definitely not um from any of our neighbors or uh, community members, 
you know, people travel even from Yardley that we meet at the market there all the way just to come say hello. Always say if you see me and I'm waving, whether I'm on the tractor or in the field, and I wave you, you can come on in. I'm not too busy. But if I look at you and I don't wave, then I'm probably pretty busy and, and um, I don't have too much time. But but you were saying like the local community, I guess like you're referring to the farming community, um, had some kind of like skepticism towards like the oh, processes okay. you guys were going at. I never really felt this in Houston because I think farming was um, very minimal anyway. It's so hot there, you can't grow much. So a lot of the farms that you think of, like up here, um, just didn't really exist down there um, for the most part. Oops. And um, really, we had just everyone in our palm of our hand because we were growing something, a leafy green, in the dead of summer. Up here, there's a lot more competition. People are growing things all year round. They've been doing it for decades sometimes. They have their established markets. And um, for the most part, you know, competition is only bad. Things will, you know, obviously affect their farmer's market sales if someone shows up with the same product. Um, whether, you know, they st still buy from them, there's more competition. And so these farmer's markets have been really a great protector of a lot of these traditional farms that have been around for a while, but they also really are, are resistant in some cases to newcomers coming in. And uh, we noticed that more so than anything because they really didn't understand how we could grow plants without soil. And I think a huge thing in um, the agricultural world right now is soil health and building up soil through cover crops, no-till farming, all this other stuff, that a lot of the grants are, are really prone um, and poised towards that kind of farming. And there's not a lot of verbiage, or at least there wasn't when I started. Now there is about my style of farming. And so the resistance was, A, competition. They didn't want really another contender on some of these products. But then also, um, you know, they really didn't know what this type of growing and the benefits that this type of growing can actually provide. And I think a lot of times you got to kind of shake people up and, and show them that this is a way. And the hardest part about doing that is sometimes you got to do it with no support until you actually do it. And um, I don't want to say fake it till you make it, but you, you just got to believe that when they try your product, when they come out and visit your farm, they're going to walk away from that experience or that, you know, that meeting as something a little different. That you, that makes a lot of sense because that's kind of that was the most political way because I really didn't want to get into how much they hated that we weren't growing in the soil. It it, it was quite remarkable and that's um, interesting. Yeah, because I don't. I guess like that's what my original question was. Like I was kind of trying to understand not in any sort of abrasive sense, like I'm not trying to like rile anyone up or start a conflict, but I would like to understand sometimes when you're having conversations with people, it's easier to understand what you have in common and then understand Correct. what their issue is. So if like what we have in common is like, we all want to eat better food or healthier food, more access to, or food. have more access to good food if you know i'm pretty sure everybody wants that i'm trying to understand kind of like 
what the objection there is because I just don't see it. So if I could, I was just trying to kind of. Well, I think it goes back to the, the competition business. It was. Side. It's purely money and it's, protecting um, business then. Which is, under, people, that's understandable. Uh, a lot of people take advantage of farmer's markets buzz right now. You know, people are paying higher prices at a market than they are at the grocery store. That's just, you know, hands down. It, it's for, you know, that connection with those vendors that are from your local area that give you that bonus. Um, well, a lot of them aren't operating at scale. That's what I was kind of asking about. Like, how how big of an operation can you set up with the aquaponics setup that you have and be sustainable because if you're like say who's a who's a good example of this like you have um nord bread for instance their product is by far like it's amazing it's there's no like i'm not you know i like them as people but i also love their product like there's no argument there but they're also not stroman's like they're not making a thousand loaves of bread an hour, so you have to you have to expect to pay a premium. So I think what when people slide under that like guise of I'm going to charge more at a farmers market, like I, I it would be interesting to study like the products at a farmers market and kind of understand you know what people there are charging a premium because it truly costs them more mm-hmm. to make a bar of soap because they can only make twenty at a time. So you're gonna obviously it's not gonna be Dove soap. You're not gonna you're not gonna buy it for a dollar. But what products there are just charging a premium because like somebody's charging a lot for homemade soap. And that I think that there's probably something to that. But at the end of the day, there I there's so many people to feed around here mm-hmm. that the bigger picture kind of should be, hey, like I get like we're competing for the farmers market right here. But shouldn't we be competing for all the mouths in the local area? And we collectively at the farmer's market cannot feed all of these people. So, like, I can help feed all these people. Like, we should be feeding the community better. Right. And I think that's kind of how you're approaching it in, a in like, a kind of a sideways sense. And that's why I was like, we got to – we it's it's been long overdue to have you on the show. But I was always kind of like, you're approaching it with – like this energy of like, hey, like this is better for everyone, right? And we're in and it we together. Can, we, yeah, and that that's unique. You don't see a lot of people like that. Yeah, I think um, you know, an example is do you want three cheese vendors or three bagel people at one market? And so there are kind of limitations to you know how many of one product you can do. But with farms growing vegetables, I mean, it, it really needs to be an embrace of anyone and everyone doing that. Yeah, people need to eat more vegetables. That's what it comes down to. Gilmar. Oh, dude. you I eat vegetables every day. All right, let us turn up the beat. Every day, bro. (laughs) Green beans, broccoli, you name it, I eat that. Yeah, you just, like, have, like, a pre-bag of, like, green, like, a whole, like, assortment. Yeah, I started doing uh, meal kits. and it, Oh, yeah, you got the meal set up? Yeah, I'm doing, like, keto and protein plus, and it always gives me. How's it going? How's your shred right now? Awesome. I'm I'm like I'm rarely working out, but I'm maintaining weight and I feel good every day. So Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We'll report back 
later on. Yeah, yeah, I will. This will <laughs> be another episode. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about Gilmar's Casey experience. at the Helpful Foodie <laughs> makes this bone broth, and I have it every morning. It's, oh, it's made me feel so good. I bet. You just straight up eat bone broth in just the morning? Just drink it in my drink coffee it. cup. Yep. I'm going to start getting on this. It's simple. I'm surprised you're not doing that. Honestly, it's, I'm so hungry right now. Just saying this, I might pass out. You want some jerky? I, d- I did. Do we have the jerky? I have I jerky. You know how I feel about eating on the microphone. Yeah, that'd be a little weird. I hate that when people eat on the microphone on like famous podcasts. And they'll yeah. be like, we're going to try the so-and-so's chicken sandwich. I'm like, off. <laughs> Sarah Napkin. I can't hear this. I can't listen to this. <laughs> yeah, like, you don't want to hear people chew. on a microphone. Yeah, it's you're gross. right. Um, ha- are there any other people that are growing lettuce in the middle of winter? Besides you right now? Yeah, there's, um, you know, the need for it up here, obviously, to have greenhouses. You guys have much colder winter uh, than where I was coming from in Texas. and so Not this year. Not this year, no. But you do see that white rain here up, up this far. And the there's white rain. <laughs> <laughs> there's always literally been the biggest, like, tomato growers and greenhouses hydroponically in this area and in Lancaster. And so it's been around for a long time. And so... It doesn't take as much space or, or labor um, or equipment to grow leafy greens in a hydroponic system as opposed to possibly growing vining crops like tomatoes, which are going to take a lot. And so there are a couple people, they do it m- minimally, but if they're up to scale, um, you know, they're going to be going after the wholesalers. They're going to be looking at someone to pick up their product, send a purchase order on Monday, pick it up on Thursday in a truck and deliver it to 20 restaurants in, in Philly or whatever. That's what you're talking about. Out. Amish mafia. <laughs> um, are the Amish growing aquaponically or hydroponically? Do we know this? You know, that's a good question. I, I, I bet you the, the Amish are heard up of an side. aquaponic farm by Amish people. See, Amish people aren't supposed to use technology from what I understand. Right. But, I, I don't but know I've been to an Amish uh, yogurt maker. Yeah, but there That's was a lot of the Amish guys that safety. came out and built the barn for us. They had iPads and computers and stuff. Hey, you're doing it wrong, and guy. I was kind of like, hmm, what's going on here? Yeah. Is this a breach of policy? You look back at the thing, it just says Amish with a little trademark. That's I, filed a complaint. <laughs> I, filed, I, I filed a complaint with his church. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I don't blame you. I'm like, this oh dude built gosh. too nice of a barn. It's not blamed by the rules. You got to ring this in. <laughs> this barn was built too cheap and too nice. <laughs> you got to take this guy's iPad away. True artisans. He's too efficient. Yeah. I actually worked for a uh, wholesaler up in Philly while I was in Houston. Um, and they w- had vendors um, and farms all throughout the area. And they'd supply restaurants, just like my example said it. One of my clients was a uh, an Amish farm that did leafy greens and other things, not aquaponically, but you had to talk to an Englishman that navigated all their business dealings. And so I had to go through this middleman. And mm-hmm. so that middleman would get a phone call from uh, Joseph or whoever I was talking Abraham. to. Abraham. <laughs> Abraham. Yes. Abraham. And, um, and then, yeah, snail mail from there on out. But it's pretty neat to see... Uh, all the buggies. Yeah, they. There uh, there's a building supplier that I had to order, like, this really special insulation from. And there was four suppliers. And the closest one was, like, Ohio, kind of near Lancaster, and then, like, Maryland somewhere. So I called. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to. I'm just going to avoid this. I'm going to call Ohio first. <laughs> Nightmare. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. 
I'm going to call Maryland. <laughs> Nightmare. Damn. Oh, shit. It's like 11.30 a.m. Call down the Lancaster. Get the voicemail. It's like, yes, you've reached ACSR. That's pretty good. Insulation services. Good accent. <laughs> yeah. You must call before 8 a.m. Monday through Friday. Are you sure you're not Amish? And I was like, what the hell? So you literally had to call between like 7 a.m. and 8. You were doing no business with the supplier. Oh I was like, Some special insulation. What a window. It took, me, it took me weeks to get them. This is Andrew's clients. They want hand-stitched insulation. <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah. And that, yeah, it was a whole nightmare. But I have a respect for them. They build good barns. <laughs> they do. That's, that's true. What, um... So you're from Texas. Would you consider yourself a cowboy, or are you just from Texas? Well, I'm from Texas, but uh, as my last name implies, I'm Cajun as well. So I, I think uh, I can grab both of those for yeah. sure. Texan and a Cajun. Going to LSU, born in Houston. It's uh, It's been a wild ride, but met my wife down there, and uh, she's from Bucks County, Lisa, and she brought me back up here. mm so as a cowboy, did you ever, like, let me think of something. Have you ever worn a polo with a popped collar? He did. These are important questions. <laughs> These are important on a, questions. We're investigating. On a horse or off a horse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, ever, I, yes, I did, but it was a small logo, not big logo. <laughs> have you ever wrangled a cow? Yeah, have you ever wrangled a cow? I have. I branded. Actually, this um, ranch that I'm wearing right now is... Uh, half owned by Patrick Swayze in New Mexico. And they take a lot of city slickers out every year and brand some cattle, herd them just like Yellowstone. Yeah. I thought he was going to rip his shirt open. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought that's what he was going to say. No brand, but I do have my bolo. Hey, Hey. dude, that's how you know. He's (laughs) 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 got the bolo tie on him at all times. Uh, Yeah. They didn't let me wear the hat. So, well, you can throw it on right now. You yeah, we, could, we could put it on over top yeah. of the uh, headphones. Okay. You could just wear no headphones. So. Yeah, you could do no headphones. We'll get them with a picture. Yeah, the, yeah, the picture. Yeah, yeah. The, picture the people you listening or watching with their ears will have already seen you with the hat on. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. You're people that stay tuned more than eight minutes, <laughs> catch it which is a decent scenes. amount of people these days. Yeah, Good. they'll know. They'll respect Matt, bro. Yeah, they have to. And the hat. Yep. They'll know to recognize it. <laughs> but we didn't even talk about aquaponics. We're getting there. We're getting okay. there. What's a hydroponics, aquaponics? There you go. What's a, What are we doing here? Why do we got all these words that we got to fight through here? What What is aquaponics and what is hydroponics? And is there any other aquaponics uh, that we need to know about? So there is um, aeroponics. Oh, Jesus. But uh, we won't get into that. For the birds. We'll make it easy. Hydroponics is basically a general term for growing plants in a soilless environment. And there's multiple ways of doing that, whether that's a gutter system called NFT, nutrient film technique, deep water culture, the way I grow it in the deeper beds floating on the water on top um, or vertically um, is another way. So hydroponics is just a general term for growing plants in a soilless environment. Now, aquaponics is... The combination of hydroponics, growing plants in a soilless environment. Because there's no soil. No soil, right. But the aqua side is combining aquaculture, which is a huge industry and defined as just growing fish in a controlled environment. So you're raising fish, freshwater fish in our case, um, 
and that's the aquaculture side. And then we're growing plants in a soilless environment, which is the hydroponic side. So they combine the two and makes aquaponics. And the difference, we are from hydroponic growing lettuce, which you'd get in the store, Boston bib or whatnot, is that they're actually having to inject those nutrients and they're having to balance those chemicals and other things to grow those plants. So with those, with the plants that are grown uh, hydroponically that mm-hmm. I guess you're getting in like the grocery store, yep. um, they're testing the water and adding chemicals and things kind of like a swimming pool? Or how like how so are they they've gotten these pretty they've gotten pretty advanced and um, so they're going to have a series of uh, pumps and and valves and that all goes into sensors that go into basically like a little control box a computer they type in um, you know what the parameters are and then everything self self adjusts those are pretty expensive so you know to start off you know, at scale to have a system that's, you know, going to work, it's going to cost you a considerable amount of money in capital that you wouldn't have in growing fish aquaponics or growing plants aquaponically. Yeah, but your knowledge, the the basis of knowledge, like, is it more costly to buy that piece of equipment than it is to obtain the knowledge you have related to the fish and, like, maintaining that whole system? I think the comparison would be more um, long term. Um, so the capital, you're not, you're not going to buy that for an aquaponics, but it kind of offsets because you do have to buy extra tanks for the fish that are not in a hydroponic system. Okay. But I think the real benefit comes down the road when, you know, two weeks, you have to basically drain all that water, refill those nutrients into that system. You have to keep doing that, and they're pretty in the expensive. Hi, in the hydroponics. In the hydroponics. So, so you have to, every two weeks, you have to flush that whole system That out. whole system. And that's... Or like or what will happen if you don't flush it? So the the stuff that you put in, you can only put in at a certain you know point before it really just starts turning that water septic almost. And the nutrients can't get taken up at a fast rate. There's so some you're, nutrients you're adding, that add and... You're adding just... Into the anaerobic bacteria that build up. You're basically just adding too many chemicals and nutrients to the water and eventually over time, yeah. The plants like so your your goal is to like say you have a hundred gallons of water and your plants can uptake, you know, fifty we'll make up a term of like micro whatever level you want to measure at. PPM. Um, Yeah. Parts per million. What is happening basically is like the plants can only uptake like a certain percentage of what you're adding each time so eventually you're just like if you if your plants are only taking up 75 percent each time you know after four four loads you have a hundred percent load in your water solution and you're basically trash at that point is that what you're saying Gilmar, you want to look it up on Google because, uh, no, I'm joking. No, <laughs> I, I really, uh, you know, never had to do hydroponics. And so, okay. so to tell you the truth, um, you know, really, I've looked at the numbers and seen the, the stuff that they put into it. Um, but in the way that we grow, we're letting the two ecosystems, plants and fish, kind of do that work for us. Okay. And as long as we set up a nice system that they're going to cooperate together and we've established that over time, obviously, um, you know, they're going to build up immunity working together. 
Um, you know, they're going to be more efficient because we're recirculating that water. It's cleaning itself so that we're not having to flush it like a hydroponic system. And we're not having to add any chemicals or nutrients. The only comparison to that in the long term um, is fish food. Yeah, so you're feeding the fish. So we're feeding the fish, and that's our input. That's our only input in the system. So you're basically, if you were taking the entire, um, what do they call it? Like the circle of life, I guess, basically. You're basically taking an ecosystem, the entire world, and you're reducing it into the most simplest of forms where you have... I'd say most modern. We're using modern. modern techniques they didn't have pvc back in the day yeah but like we don't we don't know that atlantis wasn't pumping out some tilapia lettuce hey i'm telling you so hanging garden is a babylon what do you think those were yeah exactly man they invented this stuff but okay so we'll say modern i'll agree with that because in this you know post pre-modern era they weren't doing this type of stuff Mm -hmm. but mother nature has so like you kind of took something but like Maybe it's not insulting to say simple because, like, if something is perfect, it's simple. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like, in the most, if something works, it's usually the most simplest of forms. So, like, when you look at your tank, you're like, you've taken out, like, you can control the sun. You are the ocean or the freshwater body. Like, you're controlling the temperature. You're literally, like, kind of providing dissolved oxygen. Like, I don't want to be, like, disrespectful, but you're kind of playing God. Well, you are, you're like the dude, you're like the guy from Jurassic Park in a way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know what I'm saying? it is. It's on. <laughs> Which is, it's really, it's really a cool concept because it, everybody is constantly like worrying about like sustainability and like in a panicked feared sense. But here you have this like ability over here to be like, all right, it's, it makes you feel kind of good. Like, all right, this seems like a, like. If I had a farm or a property, if I had a farm or a property, like even just like an acre, I would maybe consider having Matt coming over and setting a system up for my house if I knew what the maintenance was like. Right. And what's that like? And what you could grow. And does that work with your, you know, overall? If I grow it, I eat it, dude. I put the, if I put the work in, I'm eating it. Yeah. It does taste better. Mm -hmm. 100%. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I won't eat that stuff if I buy it. But if I grow it, it's getting eaten. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a different, yeah. Yeah, It's, it's like those, those are my baby lettuce. It's your labor, dude. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that's normal. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it really doesn't take much space. Like, like we've seen in that comparison here, uh, we're just putting in um, a hundred foot greenhouse right now and uh, really the best part about this system is not only is it very very sustainable and efficient but it's also scalable and so it could be that small system or it could be our system in Houston where um, going off of that acre example we were at a quarter of an acre of land and we were growing over 7,000 heads of lettuce a week a week and so it's like that's like bricks on bricks Mm -hmm. it it really has an application um you just really have to find a market for where you're putting that farm to produce that much you know it's interesting can you look at a you know say you you come to a house and you have a family of four can you can you be like all right we need this size tank this size this like can you pretty much are you are you at the point now where you're like, all right, you, you want to grow this many heads of lettuce a week? This is what you need. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. No, we, I mean, I think I've clocked in over 30 systems altogether. Mm. And that's all different sizes. And so, you know, everyone has their own needs, whether it's a different country or, you know, access to some of the supplies that we get here um, or even down in the south, it's hard. Um, but any kind of say, any scale, any area, you really can kind of tweak this system to make it work because like you went back to, it's simple. If you put these things together, it's going to work. If someone has a koi pond in a little garden in their backyard, I would dump some water into your plants. You know, that stuff's going to work in a very small way, but it at least is, you know, adding a little bit more nutrients. It doesn't have to be a recirculatory system, you know. Can you do that, though? Can, like, people, like, if, if say, somebody locally has, like, a koi pond? Yeah, you can um, irrigate. It wouldn't ultimately recirculate, and so it would lose the efficiency of of keeping that water in there. Um, But for the most part, all of our crops outside are directly irrigated with water that we discharge from our system's filter, and um, we never had to add any nutrients, never added any pesticides this last year, and... Luckily, no deer came through either. Wow. Um, so we were. Yeah, we what well, Matt doesn't tell strong. you is he's got these machine guns. Yeah. <laughs> he brought us, yeah, he brought yeah, us he brought some brought us bullets, thing, dude. Yeah. He brought us some. Uh, you knew a lot about him, he too. He knew. He like, he's like 7'6", yeah, too. Be six, careful two. with those hand grenades. Uh, he like, <laughs> yeah, dude. He's like, he's like, these deer don't know what get them. That's what he was saying. Uh, there's Poison of, in the deer feed. I don't know what it was. A lot of people want to bow hunt our, uh, our property and. Like, how close do you get? Oh, you get pretty close. You can get up to eight eight yards away. I was like, I want a rope. Catch and release a deer. That would be a sight to see. That'd be crazy. Ever done that? That'd be funny to call him Bucks County Cowboy. Yo, for I'll real. film the shit out of that. Yeah, I'll I'm sit down. there all day just to see that. Yeah, I, I want to see, see Andrew. Like the deer's walking by, and it's just him in the woods with all this <laughs> camo. All you can see is his eyes. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, you should make you gotta happen. get your roping skills down at the farm. We uh, we have a little game. Play. I'm I'm there, man. I've always wanted to learn how to rope. Yeah. I feel like Gilmar would be a natural for some reason. Very useful technique for life, life's problems. Yeah, you never know when you're going to stumble across a deer. You got to rope something. You never know. Pull it in. Rope a bear. Deer's eating your crops. You know, jumping from uh, building to building. You know, you, know, <laughs> you go, dude. What um is say like I wanted one of these systems. Like the system, like the, one of the smaller systems that you build over at your farm. Mm-hmm. What kind of like maintenance, like what? Because because the thing that I'm thinking about here is everybody has this like rush right now to get chickens. Everybody wants their right. own chickens, but it sounds like it costs a lot of money to feed the chickens, maintain the chickens. Like, are you really saving money or doing yourself any service? Can I just buy eggs from Hollow House Farm? But then when it comes to lettuce. Like maybe I need to grow my own lettuce or leafy greens. Like, but I'm a busy person. Like, right. am I going to be able to maintain this system or is it like require a lot of my time? I mean, if you grew nothing in the system, it would sit on the side of your house, inside your kitchen or pantry or whatever, or, you know, in a room, depending on the scale. If you didn't have any plants in it and you just fed the fish, you know, it would work for a considerable amount of time without it's just like a fish any kind of exactly at yeah. that point. Okay. So going a step further, once you feel comfortable not killing the fish, you know, maybe start herbs in that system, 
eating those herbs off, you know, that's a little root mass that's growing. And then you start working up your diversification. And then you start growing maybe six heads of lettuce at a time so that you can enjoy one head of lettuce each week because they grow at six weeks. You know that if you harvest one each week, plant one each week, over time you're going to get one each week. And it's a very systematic kind of math problem that you could really dial in your your weekly menu with what's coming up and even have a, an app for it on some of these um, smaller systems I see online that are popping up. Uh, we, we definitely, you know, have the advantage of growing in smaller spaces um, as opposed to having soil and, and really kind of having to, to truck up a lot of garden hoses or get things wet. It's a very clean system. Uh, the system we promoted for a long time that we, we sold quite a bit of them at Sustainable Harvesters was a little, we called it the AP-150. It was a little 50-gallon fish tank, filter, uh, raised bed media for uh, tomatoes or vine crops or rooting vegetables. And then you had a, a four grow spots with 36 heads or 36 plant sites on it each. That system really kind of went all over. People got creative and did you know, a lot of flowers or different kinds of other things, but there was a few people that really kind of did it better than I would have done it. Very, very organized, did one row, one certain thing, and, and really kind of looked at it as their garden in the field. You know, each row was a representation of a week. And I, I tell you what, I mean, they probably produced more than they could have eaten each week at a certain point. Interesting. But it, it is also just a supplement, you know, and it's... It's then you then a, you got to talk about getting some cows, yeah, some goats. It's a, it's definitely a gateway drug. <laughs> it, it gets you in, especially um, when you have to, you know, keep the fish alive. Then why why shouldn't I just keep chickens alive and goats? But um, I guess my one of my last questions here that I'm thinking about now is: Are there anybody like any of these people that grow weed commercially, like these big growers? Like, do they grow weed? Um, from like tilapia or like aquaponically like this? Uh, so they, I mean, it's not really a do. leafy green uh, vegetable. So right after graduating LSU, I came back and, and told, you know, my parents what, what me and my business partner had come up with. And, oh, you guys are just going to grow weed every dinner party for like three years. Oh, you're just going to grow weed. You're just going to do this <laughs> stuff. And, um, and now it's kind of evolved. People don't ask that anymore. But our answer was always, no, we, we can't. And that's because the phosphorus levels in an aquaponic system is just so low, you'd have to actually artificially raise those by adding supplements to that. Anything you add to the system eventually trickles back to the fish. And fish and that amount of extra phosphorus don't really work well together. And so... God put one little bump in there, one little uh, roadblock, so that you can grow quite everything some, perfectly could in you this imagine, system. But could you imagine some uh, aquaponic weed? That'd be like some. But they definitely do it. I I've seen it done every way possible. Someone even puts chickens on top of the fish tanks, where they create that chicken poop. It feeds the fish, and then that's the recirculation. It, now that's it's crazy. That's crazy. It's crazy, man. Don't quote me on that one. I don't know. If, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that works or if that's just like a super spreader idea mm. <laughs> because that sounds dangerous. Yeah, it does sound a little dangerous. Um, and I don't mess with chickens, man. I want to get some chickens so I know that I can rule over them. <laughs> but 
when I go to like customers' houses where there's chickens, I get out of my truck and I'm immediately like, "Don't you dare come over here!" Yeah, don't you chicken on over here, dude. I I don't want that. That you look like a dinosaur. If I ever get put on the spot to put a comedy show together, it's about chickens and how scary they are because they are a direct descendant of the Tyrannosaurus Rex. I deal with them all the time, and they are vicious. But this creature, if it was larger, lays a child a day, basically, if you think about it. They yeah. would take us over immediately. I mean, that is some that's scary stuff. That's what I'm stuff. saying. That's weird we got to worry about. about stuff like that. Yeah. The do. chickens start picking up s- some intelligence, dude. We're in for a treat. You're walking down the street. You look over. There's just like a Hummer-sized nest with... 12 eggs in it. Hummer size like, nest. You know, and the new Hummer, too. A new Hummer. Each four. No, yeah, think, them think about, like, we're all worried about, like, the soil going bad and stuff. Like, we're, like, we're, like, one contagion away from, like, super chickens. You drop one of those eggs on accident, and it is like someone dropped a goat in a velociraptor cage. <laughs> they go after it from all corners. It It's creepy. But and they eat damn. it, right? They'll eat it, yeah. But you yeah. don't want to teach them to do that or else they'll start pecking it because it tastes so good to them. Yeah. See what I'm saying? That's fucked they up. They even eat oyster God shells. knew how powerful chickens were. He taught them how to eat their young to keep them in check. He said they eat oyster shells. Yeah, you just throw oyster shells out there. They'll eat rocks too, man. They'll, I mean, you I once you feed heard them that, but they, they, they'll get some, uh, I think they call it uh, grit. <laughs> but this is what I'm saying. You've heard of grass-fed cows, right? I'm talking about some rock-fed chickens. Yeah, man. Right? So think about some. Think about that, dude. That's what popcorn chicken is. Rock-fed chickens. It's rock-fed chickens, dude. <laughs> they just when you cut Company them up, they break up chick. into little chickens. <laughs> no way. It's crazy. Yeah, it's happened. Yeah, fuck chickens. I don't mess with birds, dude. Birds <laughs> I don't. Are, yeah, man. I don't. Yeah. Yeah, you never name chickens either. Yeah, he's there's <laughs> a lot of things that don't like chickens that come around the farm. Oh, yeah. I just caught a massive, I mean, it looked like a fox from a Disney movie. It was just orange with those black paws. I mean, it's the size of my dog almost. Damn. And you, and you whacked him? I'll never tell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I went to my competitor's farm and dropped him off. Oh, uh, nice. No, I'm joking. Yeah, <laughs> he went over to Tanner's. Uh, a <laughs> <through> a fox <laughs> Actually, I have a, fo- I have a pet fox now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's kind of sketchy. That is sketchy. Kind of cool in a way. That's like rogue of you. No, no. It, I mean, thing, I guess like that thing far- put off a stink whenever he saw me come in and pick that cage up. It was like a skunk, but a dog skunk. I don't know. What? That's maybe what a fox is. It's a dog skunk. A dog skunk. Yeah, I mean, I could imagine that like hanging out with lettuce all the time could get a little boring. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do need a companion like a little fox. Well, maybe that, get a coyote or something, dude. Yeah, it did. It does get boring, but that actually brings me up to something I uh, wanted to bring up. Uh, you're hosting my TikTok a, account. You're, oh, I got you bored okay. during COVID and started TikTok in the greenhouse down there, and it blew up. And you should get on there at Grow Bro. Yeah, B R O, and uh, check it out. We'll, we'll have to scoop that out. Shameless plug towards the end of the podcast. No, you, can cut, the, you can cut this one out. You don't need to. This is more for you, too. No, we're putting this in. You're shamed. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's a hyphen. Or a An underscore. underscore. There it is over on the right, right-hand side. First column. Yeah, we got like 21,000. 
<clears throat> Scroll down to some uh, aquaponic one. Yeah, that aqua garden is a good representation of that system we were selling. What is aquaponic? Oh, no, not this one. No? You're in there, dude. You, I mean, man. they're all good. You're in there. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it is a good picture of that small system in someone's house. But how much would it, how much a, like scroll down? There was a good one with the fish because when we catch fish in our 1500 gallon tanks, it's not with a little net. We put a cast net in there and literally pull up about 20 fish at a time. Where is it? Uh, keep scrolling. Three years later. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of content. <laughs> we'll have to find it. Yeah, we'll find it. He's the grow bro. Of course there's content. There's a lot of it. He was broing uh, out. Oh, yeah. He was TikToking. Yeah. Oh, that song. one's good. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> yeah, that goes back to your question. I was bored. <laughs> So that head, uh, that board is what we use, and there's 36 heads on that raft, and those take about five weeks to grow from mm. uh, when we drop them into the system and another two weeks in germination before that. And then when we harvest, all I'll do is, um, I think if you maybe go to the next one, it has a, yeah, look to the left of that one. Oh, sorry. This one? Yeah, it'll just show kind of the roots, so... They all have their roots attached, given that shelf life of three weeks and your refrigerator. And for us, it's simply just pulling them out from the board and putting them in a box or cleaning them if necessary. But for the most part, they don't get touched from the back of that system to the front when we harvest. And So, so you sell them with the roots thing. on it? Yeah, it gives that nice shelf life in there. Oh, nice. Interesting. And we market it as living lettuce, so it's kind of. Uh, I get you, because it is technically still living if you keep it moist. Um, well, no, it, if, if you took it home and put it in the ground, it would still grow in the better time of the year. Nothing's killed it off. It, I could put it back into my system if I didn't sell them all at the market. Um, yeah, we, have, we haven't severed its tie to life. Interesting. The roots are strong. This one. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to end it on that. Yeah. Awesome. The roots are strong, strong with, with this, this one. one. That might, episode. Yeah, that might be the title. <laughs> <laughs> right there. Yeah. Um, dude, thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you guys so much. This has been a lot of fun. What The Hollow House Farms is like the main page that you want to promote right now. Yeah, I think so. Okay, My cool. wife would be happy with that. Yeah. They got to make the boss happy. Shout out, Lisa. Um, is, what's coming up? Like, you, is there anything like you want to plug? Like, coming up, re, like locally for you guys? Like, in terms of, um, yeah, just keep supporting us at the farmers market. We do Yardley um, Farmers Market and the Wrightstown Farmers Market, and you can find out all the information on that on the websites of those two. If you're interested, I know they're changing, you know, locations and times during the spring and the summer markets uh, right now we're at chandler hall for the winter market and in yardley still at the same spot so check that out come visit us and if you're in the area we're in furlong come stop on by if i'm waving yeah <laughs> yeah um, um 
Yeah, so that's Matt, bro, previously pronounced proud, <laughs> Gilmar, Andrew, and Rambo's on the floor still. Um, we appreciate you guys. Hit the subscribe button, like, follow, uh, keep giving us the love. The show is growing. The studio is still going through changes, but we're excited about what's coming. And um, check out Matt's farm. Um, it's very, you guys are very open to letting people stop by. So I definitely think like you want, everybody should check it out and see it for themselves. And then um, I think the whole experience is um, enlightening in a way that you should check out. So thanks well, for listening. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Thanks for uh, plugging. And since Mardi Gras around, let the good times roll. Yeah, he, yeah, I don't know what he just said. He said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right.